0: Good morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors of the church. Thank you, guys. Give Phil and Joel a round of applause. There we go. <laughs> My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors of the church. And uh, we're about to jump into, if you're new to the church, uh, what we would call a sermon or a message, a teaching from Scripture. Uh, before we do that, I just want to take care of a couple, just kind of a couple things first to celebrate in a little bit of household business, um, family business. First one is I want to celebrate this this past week in general. Uh, I see Grant with us. He's sitting right down over here. Those who don't know Grant, there was Grant stuck his hand up. Uh, Grant and a couple other adults um, here from Bethany went out with teenagers this past week, gave up a whole week uh, to go down to Monroe, North Carolina to serve uh, there and um, share the love of Jesus in that community there with an an organization. Uh, So again, awesome way to celebrate. They got back last night, and so obviously they'd probably love to come up and share this morning, but we'll have opportunity for them to share in the coming week or weeks uh, to hear their story. The second thing I want to mention um, is yesterday, uh, actually Thursday and then yesterday, Uh, And Friday also, we had a presence in Terry Hill. Last night was, this week was Terry Hill days. The fireworks went off last night, and and, uh, if any of you went and kind of took that in, uh, you probably, if you saw over in the concession stand, you saw a lot of people with these white t-shirts with a big red cross on the back. It said Bethany on it, and Awesome. I and mean, it was so neat to see that, just see that place manned by a number of you. So thank you, the bottom of my heart. Then the water stand over there, Gene and the rest of his team that put that together. Uh, it was just a neat opportunity to just presence to serve our community. So this week was full of a lot of opportunities to serve. So again, thank you so much for that. Another um, family business I want to kind of take care of, um, that is we have a newcomers class that takes place. Now we've been announcing this for the last... I don't know, a month or two. And again, if you're new to the church, this is something that we offer. It says, hey, come explore. Just kind of figure out, is this a place where I want to plug in, where I want to kind of, um, and that was supposed to happen. The slide says, tomorrow night, Monday, July 21st, 630 to 830, meets in my home. Unfortunately, we've had to postpone that. I apologize very much for having to do that. Some of you were signed up to attend that. I um, hope we've got communication out to that. So, again, that's also in our So That's why I'm making this public now. Um, you read it in the bulletin, and you might say, oh, that would be fun to go to, and you check it off in the tear-off um, and then you'd try and show up, and it would be an empty home. So, uh, again, I uh, apologize. We have another class will be coming in the fall. So, again, hopefully those of you who were signed up could hang on that long. Appreciate that. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to kind of touch base with that before we jump into the message. Uh, With that said, let me open this up in prayer, and then we're going to continue in our Jesus period, which is our series. We've been kind of working through the book of Colossians, a letter written to a church of Colossae that's talking about Jesus. You saw a little intro video there, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Great message in that book. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump headlong into that. Uh, God, thank you so much for Jesus, Um, and I pray for all of us in this room. We all come from various walks of life, uh, some with heartaches, some with great joy. Uh, some full of energy and some exhausted. Some with weeks of triumph and others weeks with failure. Uh, God, some are here this morning and in love with you and others are here and wrestling. Do you even exist? Uh, God, so I pray that as we sit down together here and open up the scriptures. First of all, help me to be honest to what the scriptures teach. Please speak through me. Uh, God, and all of us, including me, help us to wrestle with who you are with uh, as we encounter the living creator God of the universe that loves us all and has given us the scriptures so that we can know you. Help us to know you, God, in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we're in our series, Jesus period. I want to say, we'll start right out. I want to open up with me to Colossians. If you have your Bible, open up to Colossians um, chapter three. Colossians, if you're new to the Bible, maybe not as familiar with the Bible as some others in the room. Uh, Colossians is what we call the New Testament. You'll see the yellow there. Uh, it's the New Testament is simple way. You say, why is this thing split up into old and new? What's that mean? It means old covenant and new covenant. But you say, what does that really mean? Well, it's basically the old is before Jesus. The new is post Jesus. So Kind of that's how it's broken down. And Colossians is there in the New Testament. Um, it is between the books of First or of Philippians and First Thessalonians. And I apologize greatly. That says Colossians two. That's my mistake. It's actually Colossians chapter three, uh, verses twenty and twenty-one. Now, also want to mention, if you have your journal, we're on page seventy-six. Just kind of mention that to you. If you don't have a journal, you'd like a journal. They're out and in the foyer for free. New ones are coming, by the way. In two weeks, we should have them here and available for you. Because uh, this one is soon done. Now, this morning, we're kind of in that practical point of this book. Where last week, we talked about uh, husbands and wives. And we kind of kicked some stuff around about what does it mean to live the Jesus period message as a husband and a wife? What's the outgrowth of that? This morning, again, it's continuing the practical teachings of this section of the book. And we're going to move into parenting Uh, Not only parenting, but we're also going to talk about what does it mean to be a child, what does it mean to be children, Uh, and how do I respond with this whole subject. Now, to get us moving on this, I think it's important to understand there's one general concept about authority, but I think it's important for us all to kind of start with a foundation as we dive into this. I want to dive into that by setting up uh, kind of what I've learned with this whole journey with my Achilles, um, the surgery I had. And some of you saw, I walked up here, no crutch. I mean, I'm like, yeah, this is the first week without a crutch. I'm so excited. Um, now I'm not going to go two weeks without a crutch now. And then hopefully, hopefully with another week and a week, week and a half, I'm going to be in sneakers. And then, then they, I mean, no, that's, it's yes. <laughs> been so long. Um, and then after that, it's about eight months, eight months at that point, just walking and moving in a sneaker before I'm allowed to even try running, jumping and any of that other fun stuff. So, uh, but it's been a journey started in February playing basketball right over here in the building with people that I'm building relationships with in our communities, trying to share Jesus with. And another guy trips over my leg and I went down and it's just been a long journey from that point. Now, The thing I've learned through this journey is this has been one of the harder uh, realities, one of the harder points in life that I've personally ever walked through. Now, when I say that, some of you know my story and know that uh, I had a, a failed church plant experience in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we barely held our marriage together coming out of that. I would honestly put this experience right up there, if not above it say, wow, what's been so tough about it? I'm just, Trill's trying to figure that out very honestly. I'm going to be sitting down with um, some help and some mentors and, and just going to start unpacking that now. And I'm kind of on the, on the upward mend of this thing. Uh, and there's some things that I, I know that I'm really not comfortable sharing publicly. But the one thing, the one crystal clear lesson that has really kind of been stamped on my heart, and it's a lesson that I think all of us at one level or another live with, and that's that I live with an illusion of control. Me and my life. Now, you say, yeah, Adam, we know. You do. <laughs> you have an illusion of control. Uh, and I'm, I'm a controlling. That's kind of my personality. I have that, you know, you, you know the Myers-Briggs stuff and some of those. I, I end up landing over in that kind of of. Con- but I think all of us do this. At one level or another, we kind of live with this reality that my life is up to me. And, I mean, think about it. Just think about it. Think about this morning or this week. Think about when you go to bed tonight and determine what time you're going to get up tomorrow. Who makes that decision? You do. Now, you say, well, my boss does because he tells me time to be at work. But you ultimately make the decision what time you get up. After you get up, you determine what kind of clothes you're going to put on. You then determine as you move, maybe you're out of your bedroom and and you determine whether you're going to brush your teeth or not. You determine what kind of hygiene you're going to use. You make all of those little mundane decisions. A lot of us don't even think about anymore because it's such a natural part of life. And then you move into the kitchen and you make the decision what you eat for breakfast, if you eat anything at all. Then you maybe kiss your spouse goodbye. So I may go and kiss Tanya goodbye. And you think about that. That was my choice to kiss her goodbye, not her choice. And then more than that, it was my choice to marry her wasn't someone else that said, Adam, I want you to marry Tanya. Then as I go out and get in the car, the car that I chose to purchase, I was in control of that. No one told me to buy that car. Then as I drive to work, now me, it's, you know, I'm uh, less than a mile down the hill. But, you know, we make a choice then after we get in the car, we make a choice to which roads are we going to take. How fast are we going to drive? Are we going to obey the little speed limit? Or are we going to disregard that? What radio do I listen to? Do I not even listen to the radio? Maybe I turn it off. Maybe I uh, stream Pandora. What is it that the choices that we make kind of give us this illusion of I'm in control. I am in control of my life. Now, when something like this happens and some of you, you many of you have had experiences in life where you begin to fit head on with this reality, you're really not in control. At the end of the day. Someone said to me, Adam, we haven't heard that in a while. At the end of the day, I said, I'll try and get it in this morning for you. The end of the day, statement I used to say a lot. Um, I am ultimately not in control of life. Now, why do I, talk, why do I mention this as we get into parenting? Here's why. Every, I, we could step back and we could, we could attack that. Well, the talk about control. I'm not all negative on it. Here's why. Genesis chapter 1. I want to talk about this very clearly. Genesis chapter one says this, and this is an account of the creation of man and the creation of woman. It says, so God created mankind in his own image, in his likeness. God put all of you together in his image. So whether you're sitting here this morning and you don't want anything to do with God and mom or dad drug you along and you're like, well, you are made in the image of God. Maybe you hear this one: you're in love with Jesus, you're any, all of us are in the image of God. Now in the image of God, he created a male and female, both men and women bear the image of God. Now God blessed them and said to them, so what does it mean to be in the image of God? Well, I think one of the greatest realities, one of the greatest outgrowths comes right in the very next verse. Be fruitful and increase in number. It's one thing we're designed. We're put together to multiply. It is natural to want to have children. That's why when you can't, you talk to people who've struggled with that. It is pain. It's so deep because it's a part of how you're wired. Now, this next statement is fill the earth and what? Say it with me. Subdue it. What does that mean? Well, the next one kind of says, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. Here's the deal. Don't miss this. Do you know why most of us have an illusion of control in our lives? It's Because we were designed to be in control of our lives. We were designed to be autonomous. Every single one of us in this room is designed to live with this understanding of kingdom thinking. Means have authority over something. Now this, you look at children. some of you have small children at home. And as they start to get older, they portray this all over the place. They start, as they get older, they want to have an opinion on what they wear. No, mom, I'm not wearing that. I want to wear this. Right? It's this, this playing out. They have their room. Their stuff in their room, that brother or sister are not allowed to come in and touch their stuff. Now we can get all upset about this and call them selfish and all this other stuff. But the reality is at the root of it, it's God's wiring in all of us. Every one of us, it's, it's actually inhuman not to have some authority in life. God put us all together to have it. Now here's the problem. Here's the big problem. Especially when we start talking in today's world. Sin entered the world. Sin shows up. And it takes this beautiful God-given gift and turns it into control. It takes authority and tries to equate authority with control. And authority does not equal control. So please hear this. If you walk with nothing else this morning, as a parent, authority, your authority in your child's life does not equate to control. Children, your role in your home, you have some level of authority. It does not equate to control. Now, you say, Adam, where do you get this? Where do you get this? Where do I look at the text. Where do you see that? Well, I see it by we were creating the image of God to rule and to reign. The reason we were created that way is th- God said, okay, I'm going to create man in my image, and I am not going to physically live on the earth. I am physically in heaven. So physically on the earth is mankind, and they're going to rule and to reign in my essence, physical absence as representatives of me. So I step back and I say, well, how does God exercise authority over you and over me? You know how he does it? He gives you free will. He doesn't control any of us. See, some of us, I think sometimes think, well, yeah, right. He's up in heaven, pulling strings all over the place. I'm just a puppet. But the reality is God has looked at you and God has loved you so much. that he said, listen, you make the choice. You determine what you do with me. You determine whether you want to obey me or whether you want to walk away from me. You make the choice. So God doesn't exercise in his authority of us. He doesn't sit here and control every aspect of your life and my life. He says, I'm going to delegate that to you guys. You make the choice. Now, as we come to parenting and we look at this in Colossians, whether a parent or a child, it's your role to give up control. Now, some of us know, yeah, that's right. Kids get that down. That's your role to give up control. But I want to challenge the parents here this morning. Ultimately, it's also your role to give up control. If you're parenting with control in your mind instead of authority, you're going to ruin. And I believe this text says you're going to cause embitterment. You're going to discourage your kids as opposed to setting them free to go out into the world on mission. Now, let's dive into that. Let's dive into this thinking. The first one is children. You see in chapter 3, verse 20. Now, same thing as last week. It starts with wives and it moved to husbands. The writer here, Paul, it's like he starts with one and moves the other. The second one is ultimately the one with the greater responsibility. So, again, let's talk about children first, and then let's really hit on the greater responsibility, which is parents, which we'll come to in verse 21. Verse 20, simple verse. Children, obey your parents in everything. There's a scary one. Everything. Some of your translations say, always be obeying your parents. I think that might be a little better rendering of the language, but it's again, you are, this is a pretty big black and white deal. Everything, honor, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So children obey fathers don't embitter. Now, as we start and unpack this truth. Parents and children give up control. We can see right away in verse 20. Well, it's really easy. Children, that's don't, you know, give up control. Well, let's, I want to talk about why. I'm going to talk to the kids here this morning, teenagers, children in general. Why do I give up control? Why is this? Why is this a big deal? What's important about this? Well, let's go back um, to another book. Ephesians chapter six. Parallel writing, parallel truth, the same writer writing to another church, giving the same concept, but he gives a little more detail and he says this children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother. So he's quoting now the 10 commandments, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So we have the 10 commandments and we have this one that comes along, which says, I'm going to give you a promise. If you obey this, I'm going to promise things to something to happen. So what happens so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Pretty simple, right? I want to go even deeper. Why? How does this happen? Let's push it in on this a little bit. Well, here's how I've seen it play out. I wanted to share probably the most relevant thing that I've seen in my life of where I've seen this play out. I worked at Super Value, a uh, food distribution, for about two years. Up in, it's, some of you don't know, it's the warehouse. It's about a million square foot of space. It's right up there at the, the turnpike and the 222 exchange. Huge place. Roughly 900 or so associates work there. They hire 15 people roughly every two weeks. So what does that tell you? It's a tough place to work. So I came in and I got a job there. Um, Within a few uh, months of me being there, I had an opportunity to move into another position. Uh, The position they moved me into was a supervisor role overseeing the new hires, those 15 people that we hired every two weeks. My job was to work with a team of people to help those 15 people get up to speed and do it safely so that they'd ultimately stay with the company. Now, because of that role, Because of that involvement in that role, I was also the one who was responsible to fire people. Now, I hated this. part. I mean, I despise this part of my job. And this is not an exaggeration. By the time I left there, I was only in that role about 18 months. And in those 18 months, I had to personally let go of 50 associates. Now, you look at that and you think, oh my goodness, that was, I, it, it was it never got easy. Now, as I think back on that and I think about this teaching, one of the things that I observed close to, not I'm not going to say 100%, but it was a high 90s of those 50 that I had to personally let go. The reason that we had to let them go was because they could not obey ultimately. what does that mean? Well, they got hired and they were told, for example, hey, listen, this is when we take breaks. This is the window of your break. Well, we'd find people two hours later taking a smoke break outside. Why taking a smoke break? What have we told you? Well, you told me to do it here. Well, why are you doing it here? Well, because I want to do it there. Okay, well, listen. So we'd go through that. We found people with their smartphone out on the floor, which can be a hazard in this particular environment. We said, no phones on the floor. We'd find people with phones on the floor. We'd find people, we'd we'd say, listen, listen, this is a a dangerous job. You throw roughly 40,000 pounds around a a single person every night. Your back can go in a hurry. So because of that, we have some policies and things you don't want to do for safety. We regularly found people injuring themselves, and we had cameras around, we'd go back and review stuff, and we'd realize they were injuring themselves because they were violating the way we told them. We said, don't step on a pallet, for example. One individual we had to let go, he stepped on a pallet, snapped right through, and messed his ankle up. We said, why are you on the pallet? Because it's easier to get the boxes. But what have we coached you to do? Not to walk on the pallet. So again, almost, not 100, but almost 100% of the people we had to let go was because they could not follow directions. For some reason, they wanted to do it the way they wanted to do it. Now, as I pushed in on this a little more, and I got to know them, because we invested in these people. We wanted them to succeed. So we got to, man, it was so hard about firing them, because many of them I really got to know. But it, the large majority then, as I really got to know them, what I learned is they came from pretty difficult homes. And here's the connection. I believe this long life, why God sets this up is because every single one of us sitting here, you don't like to face this. You don't like to think about yourself in this way, but our hearts are rebellious to the core. We want what we want. We hate. I hate. I'll just talk about me. I hate people telling me what to do. God, has, God knows that, and he has designed the home to be the very first and most basic place to learn how to interact with that rebellious heart and to learn one of the most basic life lessons, how to submit to authority. If you cannot learn that lesson, life will be long and it will be hard. Not long as the way this verse promises it. It will be difficult. One of the most basic life lessons. He says, I've given you the home, children. Young men, young girls, I've given you the home to teach you how to interact with authority. I've seen a lot of marriages fall apart because the husband doesn't know how to interact with authority. Because the wife doesn't know how to interact with authority. This is a really big deal. Life goes well we learn how to interact with authority. Now, I want to push even further with this and give another reason why and just compel, especially young people, to understand. This is a leadership principle. When you stop trying to take control, it leaves the authority figure with the weight of responsibility. You want children, you want your mom and dad to take responsibility for the role that God has given them. They can't take it unless you give up control. Another example of this, I coached football. I was two years out of high school and Warwick High School approaches me and says, will you come on as a paid employee um, on our coaching staff? And I don't know what they were thinking, two years out of high school. What, what do I? So I come on, I say, I'll do this. Into of the season, my very first paid season as the offensive and defensive line coach for our junior high team, the ninth grade team. I'm heading off the field after our second game. Remember this so vividly. And a dad comes cr- crossing the field and he's in a hurry. And I kind of catch it out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, oh boy, here comes trouble. He comes up to me, he gets me turned around and he up one side and down the other and not so few and nice words tells me what a, what a loser coach I am and how I don't know what I'm doing. And I want to stop and say, you don't know the half of it, dude. I am just new at this. And, and he's just up one side down the other and how his son deserves to play. Now, fast forward, we get off the field, all the kids go home. We're sitting in the locker room. There's the coaches and we're debriefing from the game to set up the next week's practice schedule. Guess what kind of conversation we had about that dad? And let me ask you, did it help that? You guys know this. We're smart people. Did it help that player or hurt that player? It hurt him. Here's why it hurt him. This principle. I am that player's authority. And what that dad did is he robbed me of my responsibility. And now as I'm failing, as I'm responding, I'm responding to the dad instead of sitting with the weight of what it is I'm called to do. See, if that player had come to me, as the coach and said, Hey coach, listen, listen, coach, I want to start. I really want to start. What can I do to demonstrate that to you? What has that done for me now? It's given me the responsibility. It's basically said, I am putting this responsibility on you. I'm giving it to you. What can I do now? As I walk away, what am I left? What is my feeling toward that player? It's very different from what it was here. And now my, I am going to now take the responsibility to say, I want to help you succeed. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you succeed. And if I fail at this, at this point, now I'm left to look in the mirror as as opposed to stare at a dad and point my finger at him. The same thing goes with parenting. Kids, young people, when you give up control, you may hate your parents. They may be flat out jerks. And you want them to see that. Maybe they need to see that the best thing you can do is stop trying to take control, submit yourself to their authority. And it's going to push them with their responsibilities, a mom and a dad or dad. And they're got to stare in the mirror now and say, what am I doing with this responsibility? God's given me instead of fighting with you and having war with you and everything else that goes on. So again, that's the other principle. Now, before we move to parents, I want to push in on two difficult, I can't, there's, a, there's an elephant in the room on this one, two of them here, and I want, to, I want to talk, can't move past it. First one, first elephant. When it says, children, obey your parents in everything, how old is the child? How long does this last? I'm still a child, right? Some of you in this room who are 70 years old are still a child. Maybe your parents are still living. You're still a child. So does that mean I need to obey my parents in my late thirties? I'm still looking to my mom and dad to obey them. When does it, when does it end? Does it ever end? Now the reality of this text, Paul didn't help us at all in the Greek language. There are words, same as we have in our English language to to, to kind of break down years. Like we would say infant or toddler or elementary age, or we'd have words that kind of break. This word here is just a general blanket word, children, It can mean adults. So when does this end? Now, the text doesn't teach us. This is, so I'm moving now into my opinion. I I I always like to state that up front. You can't, I can't state authoritatively. This is what it teaches. My opinion is going back to Genesis. It says the man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife and they will become one. To me, that's when this ends. When I've removed myself from their authority, I've joined with my wife. I've now started a new family. The cord is cut. And it has to be cut for this family to be healthy. If it isn't cut, this, this new family never really gets healthy. So my opinion, that's when it happens. So some of you say, well, I'm not married. Or some of you might say, well, I'm 25 or I know someone who's 30 and still living at home. What does that mean? My opinion is you're still under your parents' authority. My opinion, uh, I know you could, there may be a difference of opinion and very intelligent difference of opinion on that. But I just want to state that the second elephant in the room is the statement, obey your parents in everything. Really? What if your mom or your dad ask you to do something that is clearly wrong? Do I obey them? Is that what the text teaches? Well, I'll throw again throughout my opinion on this one. It is possible to honor and not obey. I really believe this. Now, this gets tricky. And if you're in one of these situations, I want to say right up front, please talk to your youth leader. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Come talk to me. We would love to open the door and talk about how do you do this. But let me kick out a couple. Let me kick out kind of why I derive this. In scripture, we talked about this last week. I know some of you say, I can't see. This is a circle. And I'm a terrible speller, so I could write anything there and you don't know what it says, but that says home. In scripture, we talked about this last week. In the home, when we talk to the husbands, husband, you are not your wife's ultimate authority. Who is? God. Parents, you are not your kid's ultimate authority. Who is? Now, here's why. I am not a God. God. Now, some of us act like we are. We're in control of life. I'm making the decisions and the captain of my own ship. But I am not a God. Therefore, I am not my kid's ultimate authority. It is given to me as a gift. And within the home, that authority is limited. Okay, that's why I draw the circle. It's limited. There are certain things that I cannot step in. So, for example, we have our government government. Okay, now they have some authority. Some of us think too much. Some of us think not enough, whether you're Democrat or Republican and where you land on that, but they have some level of authority. And so there are things within the government that I as a father cannot overrule and overstep. Now, (laughs) there is some place in between where where it gets a little sticky. I understand that. The church is another place where there is some authority given. Okay, the church... Again, the church has within its, there's a, again, scripture lays out a hierarchy of leadership and says, this is how it should function. But even within the church, there are limits. There's only so far you can go with this because I am not your ultimate authority. So God says there are limits. And again, there's overlap where it gets a little sticky and then it really gets sticky when the three come together. And, but again, So I want to throw this out to say, that's why I say it can be possible for a parent to tell a child to violate the law. And it's okay for the parent to say, God, the child to say, God hasn't given you that authority. So I can't honor that, or I can't obey it. I can honor you, but I can't obey it. And I want to push in even deeper with this one. I want to really make this one throw some gray and, and I'll give you some discussion to have at your lunchtime or your small group this week. How about the situation where I've seen this as a youth pastor, solace in years of youth pastor, a young person comes to me and they're struggling because th- I've worked with them as a teenager. Now they're ready to get married. And their dad says, you can't marry her. Now, the young person says to me, I sat down and I prayed. And I hear God telling me, this is the girl for me. And my dad, my dad isn't even a believer in Jesus. My dad doesn't even go to church. My dad's a little unhealthy. He's way unhealthy. What do you do? Has your parent been given the authority to determine who you marry and who you don't marry? Especially when you believe God's telling you. Throughout another context. I've seen this one a lot, unfortunately. Young people who God gets a hold of them and they say, I want to go to Bible college or Bible Institute so I can pursue what God's called me to do in missions work. And the mom and the dad maybe aren't even believers in Jesus, or I've even seen believers in Jesus step in and say, no way. My son or daughter will never go to that school. You need to go out, get your degree and get a job. You say, well, God told God, I heard God call me to be a pastor, to be a missionary. What do you do? Now I don't have the ultimate answer on that. It gets really sticky and really hard, which is why I'd encourage sitting down with someone. But I will say this. You are skating on really thin ice to go ahead and marry the guy or to go ahead and go to the college. It's my personal belief. I've seen a lot of wrecked lives. One story in my mind from years past where someone, the, the parent, family stepped in and said, we don't want you marrying them. The person went ahead and married him Anyway. Today, they're facing divorce. So, I'd say it this way. Kids, in Scripture, this, is, this isn't new with me, but in Scripture, God demonstrates that he can speak through donkeys. If your parent's a donkey, he might be speaking through them. Okay, I'll leave it at that. That's the G-rated version. <laughs> now let 's move to the other side of the equation let 's talk to parents and uh, first, let me mention this if you 're struggling as a child or even an adult child with hurtful parents, parents that did not do their role well and you 're laying, how do I honor them? They are so messed up and they 've hurt me so deeply. There's a lot of stuff out there, and I, I wish I could put it all up. And this isn't, I don't put this up because it's the best one. I put this up because it's the most recent one I've read. I read this this past spring. It really helped me, and I have good uh, good parents, but I think it helps all. But it's called Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers um, by uh, Leslie Leland Fields and Dr. Jill Hubbard. Great stuff on really wrestling with how do you walk through honoring mom and dad, or mom or dad, when, when it's really, they may not be living a life worth honoring. So again, that's, that's for Now parents, let's talk about parents a minute. Again, whether you're a parent or a child, it's your role to give up control. Now you parents, you say, I get how my kids are to do that. But how about me? Let's read the verse again. Fathers, verse 21, chapter three, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do not in your children. The first thing I want to mention, why wow, this word father shows up. Now, there is all kinds of brilliant Greek scholars, which I am not, who get into this word and talk about should it say fathers or should it say parent. The original language could go either direction. So, why you see some of you have translations in your hand right now or on your phone that actually doesn't even say fathers, it says parent. Now, I personally lean towards it should say parent. But if you want fathers, that'll work too. I want to talk and push into this a little bit. Remember, authority does not equal control. I want to read this verse, Proverbs 22, 6. I have heard this quoted a lot. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Let me ask a question. Does great parenting guarantee great kids? Look at you. I see it. You're going like this. No, it doesn't. Wanna wait a minute. I read this verse and I'm like, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Here's the deal. Great parenting does not guarantee great kids. You guys know this. You're smart. So what do you do with that verse? Well, that verse is in what we would call it's it's wisdom literature, and it's so important as you interpret the Bible. As you interpret the Bible, you understand what is, like, Colossians is a letter. You need to understand it because there's context to the letter. There's a group that's being written to. There's an author that's writing it. Wisdom literature is just like early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Good old Benjamin Franklin, that's called a proverb. That's wisdom literature. Does that mean if you start going to bed early every night and get up early every morning, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? All of you would say, no, it doesn't. But generally, what's the heart of the verse is talking about a general truth of discipline in life will produce healthier living. Proverbs are general principles, not guaranteed promises. Same as like a sociologist would go out and study humanity. And they may come back and and begin to learn some things about humanity. And they can say, this is generally how this personality type responds in these circumstances. But it's a general truth. Not an absolute truth. So very, very important. Now, why is this a big deal? Because this gets us in a lot of trouble. Young parents, I'll speak for myself as a young parent. I'm getting over this. I've repented of this. Early on, this is what I thought. Now, if you would have pushed me, I would have said, no, that's not true. But you know, when I began to realize it's true, when I have my young son, between one and a half to two years old, my first born, the poor firstborn, right? How many of you are firstborns? Look around. Please give that person that has their hand up a big hug at the end of this service, (laughs) or maybe now if you want. The poor firstborn, right? I think that's why God made them tenacious little creatures, because they, 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 they usually deal with it. But anyway, my firstborn, we're in, living in Mifflin County, Pennsylvania. I'm taking him shopping at the Burnham Giant grocery food store. And for some reason, he decides unbeknownst to me, and I don't know what's going on. He is screaming. He's throwing a fit at me. He wants something. Now, I don't think he needs whatever he wants. And I'm trying to tell him to stop. Well, he's not stopping. And he gets louder and more obnoxious and crazy. And and suddenly, parents, have you ever been there? Suddenly you realize everyone around you is doing this. (laughs) What do you feel as a parent? Shame, guilt. I got to control this kid. I'm a bad parent. You know why we feel that? Because when you're in the reversed role, what do we do when we see the bad kid in public? (laughs) We subtly believe this, though we say it's not true. And it is so dangerous because now what ends up happening, I step in with my now precious little boy and control and force. And now instead of coming at him with grace, I come at him with coerced power. To shut him down. I'm trying to control that little boy. Because it's attaching itself to my own identity and my own dignity and everything else about me as a dad. And because I believe great parents make great kids and this kid isn't great, so it must mean I'm not good. It gets us in a lot of trouble. Now, so what is parenting? Control is never what one human is to be to another. Parenting all the more. Children, this is one of my favorite verses, all-time favorite verses on parents, for parents to children. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him, like arrows. Look at this imagery. What is an arrow? An arrow isn't something that that we do recreationally and go out and shoot at targets in our backyard. In this culture, an arrow was used to provide food and to defend off enemies. So like arrows in the hands of a warrior... Parents, you're warriors. I mean, you're at battle. Our children, born in one's youth, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This verse kind of the presupposition is you're moving on mission and your children are used on that mission. You load your children up, you pull it out, and you let them go. Children are not to be controlled and, and coerced and pulled in and kept safe. The older you older children get, those arms open up and you're loading them up and getting ready to send your children out into this world on mission to hit the enemy head on. Now, what I've found as a parent, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And I found as a parent, it gets me a little nervous. Some anxiety wells up. Those of you who have, have done any kind of leadership reading know that delegation is a really good thing and talked about a lot. How many times have you heard it talked about that delegation creates anxiety because I'm giving up control. And now I'm giving it to someone who can do something with it that I may not do and I may not even like. And it creates anxiety inside of us. And we want to, and it makes us nervous. And we want to step this thing in or we want to pull them in and shelter them. You know, and I want to say the biggest lesson I'm learning, this is harder and harder the older my kids get. This world's scary, isn't it? It's not friendly to Christian people, to Christian thinking, to people who love Jesus. The world operates in a completely different manner. We've read it in Colossians chapter two. It operates on law and we're saying law's not what we're about. It's about Jesus period. And the world doesn't operate that way. So I'm going to send my kids out into that world. It's important that I as a parent and preparing them and dealing with them spreading something. Let me again a little drawing that may may help with this. I saw this with me a, a long while ago and it's always always helped me kind of some hopefully it helps you. Draw a graph. On this line here, we're gonna use it to represent age. So over here we have 18, over here we have zero, infant. This line here we're gonna use to represent decision making. So this line is graphing how much, how much should you be exerting? So down here is you're basically, you've basically let them go. And up here, you make all of their decisions. Okay. Everything. Now, some of you have seen this before. What happens as a child gets older? Okay. It goes this way. So now, obviously when my child is an infant, I make all their decisions for him. When are you going to bed? Now, some of you think you're Right. They make them for me, but the reality is I am deciding when they go to bed, what they wear, what they eat, when they, all that stuff. I am making those decisions. Now, as a child gets older, it should get down to the point where I'm making none of their decisions. Now, see our kids. Now, if you chart this on a graph and it's not as sometimes, sometimes this looks a little tricky. Sometimes it goes like this because the children have not handled there, maybe you're giving up a little more control and they're proving they, they can't handle it. So you've got to come back up. And so this gets messy, but somewhere here in the middle is where probably the most tension lies. Where it's soon like, and that's Ramat mom. That's just, I'll just candidly say, this is at with my oldest. He's getting to the point where he's, he's a big boy now. And it's important for us to read books like we are as a family. We're reading the insanity of God. Some of you read that book and that's an adult book. It deals with horrendous treatment in in another country in Somaliland back in the the late 80s, early 90s of torture of women, of people who are killed for their faith, of dead bodies all over and landmines and just wrestling with is God good and does he exist and how. And you think, well, why are you reading this to your son? Because my son is in my bow, and that string's getting pulled, and he's not far from us opening those fingers, and he's out there, and we want him to hit it head on, understanding what life's about. It's why when we watch America's Got Talent as a family, a fun family show we're watching, and don't judge me for it. I know it's, it, but we like it as a family. But a few weeks ago, this show, and there's some vulgar stuff on there. At times I'll admit, at times I'm like, oh boy, I don't want my kids to hear that. But again. I'm trying to help my kids understand mission. So, a few weeks ago, there's a 70 year old guy, some of you may have seen it, and he's singing a song, this love song relationship. He, this little ditty he made up, he's singing it back and forth about this girl that he met, how he's fallen in love with her. This is a 70 year old guy. You think, oh, this is a great little innocent song. And then it ends at the very end by talking about the guy really, or the girl really is a guy. And he used the, 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 the actual anatomy word for the man. And my kids were like, And I'm like, (laughs) give us some warning guys. I mean, I could have switched a channel or something, but our kids heard it. Now authority versus control. Here's what I learned to do as a dad. I I let them laugh because it was, it was, I understand why they laughed, but ultimately I don't want them laughing at that. Ultimately, I want them to understand that that is brokenness, that that really exists in the world. There's a lot of sexual identity miss. I mean, it's, it's just a mess in our world today. And so I want my kids to understand. I want my kids to love those people and, 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 and those who are struggling in that area. So we talked to our kids about that. We had a whole conversation. I mean, this was, a, an, a, was one of those wow conversations. Kind of like when my kids, came home off the bus and said, Dad, we heard the F word today. What does that mean? It's, you know, they get into those, you kind of start to sweat as a parent. So we're laying it out. Well, here's the cool thing. Two weeks roughly later, Tanya is out clothes shopping with our kids. And in the, in the clothing store, my, my one son comes over and like the store, I wasn't there. comes over and says, mom, mom. And across the way was someone, a man dressed as a woman. Now it gave us great opportunity Well, they just saw it on TV and heard it joked about. And it gave my wife great opportunity to say again, Luke, Zach, Eden, you're loaded and we're going to let you go. And right there is the target. We're on mission. There's a lot of hurt represented in that person. Whether they know it or not, it's there. And we're raising you up to let you go out there on mission. Now, I admit, I stand and talk about this very passionately on stage, but let me tell you, it is scary stuff. Especially when they come home talking like those we're trying to influence and doing like those we're trying to influence and reach it's scary. The older our kids get, the I used to stand with infants and talk about this with such idealistic passion. And the older I get, I'm realizing this is messy and it's hard and it's scary. But again, parenting is not about control. Finally, I want to mention about parenting. Ephesians 6, 4. Let me come back there. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Same, same thought. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. From Deuteronomy chapter six, if some of you are going to read that, you're actually going to read that in your reading plan this week. Deuteronomy chapter six, all the way to Ephesians and all points in between. God and scripture never gives the role of raising children to the nation of Israel or the church. It's always given to the parent. Now, this is something that I look at young parents today, at the generation coming up today, and it is incredible because they get this. The generation ahead of me didn't always grab this real well. The generation ahead of me, as I've talked to my own parents and and my grandparents, they generally thought, you know what my job is as a parent is to get my kids into the church building every time the doors are open so that they've got a chance at making it. The generation today, I find on Buried in their heart is, it's my job. God's given me that authority. God's asked me to do that. And again, this is why at Bethany we say, my kids, Adam Nagel's kids, loving and living on mission is my responsibility, not this church's. And this is so important. We're beginning to make decisions that are going to be change oriented things. And some of those changes were just beginning to kind of kick some around or could be big changes, but they're driven by this belief and saying it is the parent's responsibility. So again, this is why one of the reasons I just want to take some time to just plug What Rachel is doing again, you can either get this stuff on an app. Some of you, if you're in children's ministry, talk to Rachel. She can tell you how to get that app, or you can get it on online on a computer. If you don't have a smartphone or you can bring home every day at the check-in there's every week when you go, there's a paper that looks just like this. And on that paper, it says, Hey, this morning in church, this is the verse we memorized and this is what we talked about right now. They're learning about friendship and it's saying, listen, take this home because this is you parents. Begin to instill in their hearts. We're going to encourage them. But ultimately, it's your job to drive it into their hearts. We're going to build healthy relationships outside of the home with them, with their small group leader. So, again, there's this. Then there's a, time, a thing called a meal time. So, a thing you can do with your kids at meal. There's a bedtime component to this. So, as you're laying your kids down to bed. Um, then they have it for both ages. Then they have, we have this quiet time sheet. You know, parents, parents, if your kids are not in the word of God for themselves, pick this up. If they're already doing something, that's awesome. I'm amazed at how many kids, as I hear stories, come back to children's church and aren't doing any kind of reading for themselves. And that's ultimately not our job. That comes back to mom and dad. And I don't say it to shame anyone. I say, listen, that's your job, and I think you know that. So, again, this is a cool sheet. It's just four days where they get to sit down, they read a passage, and there's usually an activity to help them at, at their age level engage it and talk about it. And, and so that when they come back to their small group, their small group leader can say, how's it going? So again, that's there. That's at the check-in station again, the app, and then our right now media. Some of you are familiar with that. You don't familiar? let us know, and we'll get you hooked up with that, but has curriculum on there for parents. That's driven right out of the curriculum we're using here on Sunday morning. Really big deal to us that, that this, that this is um, just an embraced reality and truth. Now here's where I'm going to land. Covered a lot of ground this morning. And some of you said, I wish you would go deeper with the kids or the parent. I wish I could too, but we covered both sides. And here's where I want to land. About six months ago, in my own reading, I was reading this verse uh, in Colossians about parents do not embitter. Some of your translations say, do not provoke your kids to wrath. So I begin to wrestle with what does that look like? What is that? Is it dad? I want to raise. I, I, I believe every one of you here wants to do a good job with your kids. So I say, what does that look like? So I got on my computer. Some of you know Bible Gateway. And I just typed in provoke. I want to read all the passages in the scripture to talk, use this word provoke. I don't know why I was prompted to do that. but I just And as I read through, I started reading verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. And I started knowing this theme. The word in the early parts of our Bible is almost always used in reference to provoking the wrath of a jealous God. And so I'm thinking, well, this isn't relevant. This doesn't help me as a parent. And then suddenly the light bulb went on. It does help me as a parent. Do you know, ultimately parents, and whether you've got kids who are 30 or 40, or whether you've got kids that are two and three, you know, ultimately you discourage your children, you hurt them and set them up for failure. Is by loving something other than Jesus. That's what I began to realize. There's a lot of idols, a lot of good things in life that we can chase after. And God's saying, listen, I'm a jealous guy. He says, I want all of you. I want your your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we live for other things, God, God's, it says his jealousy is stirred up. It's not good for us. And I began to realize, you know, we do this as parents. Some of us live for our job and we show our kids, Hey kids, you know what's most important in life is daddy's job or mommy's job. Hey kids, you know what's most important in life is this house and all of our stuff. Hey kids, you know what's most important in life? We send this message to them that what's most important in life is our religious activity, not loving Jesus, but just being in all the religious stuff. Hey kids, you know what's most important to us? And we go on down the lines. We, we worship things and ultimately I think one that most parents struggle with, we live for our own children in place of living for Jesus. Creating the image of God means we are called to be fruitful and we want it. But oftentimes in our fallen state, when we get those kids, they are our identity, it's who we live for. All of our who we are is wrapped up in I've got kids, I've got good kids. And here's what I've learned. That which Adam Nagel idolizes, I ultimately demonize. You see it with sports all the time. How many of you Eagle fans have had some really nasty things to say for the Eagles? When we idolize things, we ultimately, here's why. Things that are not God cannot bear the weight of Godhood. They can't do it. And so what ends up happening when I place my kids on that uh, that altar and I say, I am worshiping you, kids. It's a child-centered home. I'm living for you. My all in all is found in you. Ultimately, what ends up happening, I put my hopes and my dreams on their shoulders in a way that they cannot carry. And it embitters them and discourages them. And they walk from me. And sometimes they can't even put words to it. Sometimes they don't even know that mom and dad were living for me and me alone instead of living for Jesus. So again, I think it's one of the greatest ways. And here's how I'd end. I want to end with this. Kids will almost always, true of all of us, return to grace but not law. Why I end with this is because I know in this room there are some of you with adult children who've wandered far from home when I say one far from home, they don't love Jesus. They don't love God. And they're making choices that hurt you deeply. Now, I'm not in that position. I have many times parents walk with me, but I was a child who hurt a family. And what I was ultimately walking away from was a home. And here was the message of my a great home. I don't put my parents down when I say this, but I lived in a home where failure was not an option. That's law, not Grace. And what that did to me is it pushed me from that home. I didn't feel safe in that home. I didn't know I was loved and my dad was proud of me in that home. Now, my dad and I, my dad, the gift of my father is my dad has been humble enough to sit with me and have conversations about this and talk honestly and openly. And that continues and it needs to continue for me. But parents, here's what I want to say. Biggest thing I can speak as a child, an adult child who struggled with this. The best thing a parent can do is initiate the heart of your child. Even if he's 30 or 40 years old and say, I'm sorry, I love you. Maybe I love you a little too much. And I didn't always live with Jesus period on my heart. Now, some of you sit here and say, well, Adam, I did. That's awesome. And here's my, here's my encouragement to you. If you're saying, Adam, I've evaluated my heart. I've, my kids have wandered off and I've, I've lived grace and Jesus period. I've done that. And my kids are still a distance there. Here's my heart, to my, my thing that I, and if I ever is, is just listen, then sit back and rest in God's sovereign plan. Don't keep stepping in to take control and to wrestle that thing down, to force it to get back together. Just sit back and say, God, I trust you and your authority. And I'm not going to take control. Because again, it's not about control, either for the parent or the child. So I'm going to go to prayer. We're going to sing a song, Give Us Clean Hands. It's a song all about idols, all about help me to worship well, help me to really search my heart and live for Jesus, period. But The reason I'm going to end with this is because as we talk about all this message in control, all of us want to live life well. I don't know if one of you that got out of bed this morning and say, I hope I fail big time today. I hope I'm the biggest loser that anyone's ever seen. None of you want that. We all want well-being in life. Ultimately, it starts with learning to wrestle with authority. Ultimately, it starts with learning to submit to Jesus Christ, period. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much for the life that we can have in you. Thank you so much for sending your son to this earth to die for us. Uh, People who at the very core of us are rebellious. People who are sinful. People who push back from you. People who think that we can figure life out and... God, people who worship the created and not the creator. God, we've talked about a lot of things this morning and uh, kind of been all over the place with parents and kids. And God, I pray for the kids here this morning, people that maybe still live at home and under the authority of their parents. Uh, God, there's so much we could pray for here. I pray help those children to learn how to honor and obey their parents. God, I specifically pray right now for those who are living in homes that they would find their moms and dads not worthy of honor, They would maybe find a mom and her dad to be a jerk or to hurtful or painful. God, I pray specifically for those kids. Help them. Give them grace and understanding of how to submit and place that responsibility on mom or dad. God, I pray for the parents in the room. Start by praying for young parents, parents that are in the thick of it, with elementary and high school kids, wrestling with how in the world do I load my kids up in this bow and shoot them out into this world? How do I make my heart vulnerable to the place that I'm, I'm releasing and giving up control to send my kids on mission? God, that's so scary and so hard and so messy. And God, Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail. All of our homes are unique. And God, give us wisdom as we walk day to day with you on how to do that well. Give us courage and strength as it can be weary and exhausting. And God, for those that are here in the room and have adult children, they're still their kids. God, I pray specifically for those that are here and maybe their kids have wandered far from home. God, I watch the pain in my own parents' heart and watch the tears that they shed over the years as I made choices that took me far from home. God, I know that is one of the deepest pains as parents want to walk with those adult children in a relationship that's, whole and complete. So God, I pray for parents, give them wisdom with their adult children and how to, how to still be a parent, but you realizing it looks so different. And God, ultimately, I pray for all of us. If ultimately, this whole message comes back to what do we do with authority? And that's a subject that we don't like in our American context, in our American world. But God, ultimately, it's one we have to wrestle with because if we can't lay down control to you, We can't hear you say, welcome home. We can't embrace you as a father that loves us. And we can't look forward to being with you one day for all of eternity. If we can't lay down and say, I die to self. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus' help and grace and mercy. So help us all to wrestle with what is it that we're living for? What are the idols in our heart? And give us clean hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.